Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So welcome, uh, all of you here to Free Life Community Church and to our uh, friends and our um, uh, satellite uh, facility up in Mecca. Uh, glad you're here today. Thank you to those of you who are watching from home and online, uh, wherever you might be, those of you listening uh, through uh, our podcast or uh, through the website or through uh, uh, our Facebook Live. We're grateful and thankful to be able to uh, participate in church together. Amen. Anybody that's your first day back with us? Anybody? Glad you're here. Glad you came to uh, be with us today, Reverend. Glad, always, Bishop, always glad to have you. And uh, friends, you know, I'm always excited because Sunday morning is like, it's like the Super Bowl for me every week because, you know, you know, because it's a time that we can come together and worship with one another and learn about the Lord and what He has for us. And this is my safe place. This is my, this is my heaven on earth. Anybody? Amen. Right? Being, being amongst uh, other Christians. And that's why it's so desperately important that we not allow the enemy to keep us from meeting together in fellowship. Now, I realize that with COVID-19 and uh, the coronavirus, you know, we have to be careful. And, and some people, you know, with underlying health issues might want to be, you know, a little cautious. I get it. I understand that. But I am praying that God will put an end to this because I know the devil, devil wants to take this as far as he can to keep us separated and in fear. Did you know that? That's what he wants to do. And God says, no, I want you, I want you to be together. And what have you to fear? And if you listen tonight uh, to Bible Story Cafe with Dr. D, you'll hear a 13-minute video, and it's really only 13 minutes, believe it or not, a 13-minute video of why we shouldn't fear, because God is our Father. You'll hear me state that Rick Warren said um, that we should stop focusing on our fear and start focusing on our Father. Amen to that, right? And so I want to give credence where it's due there because that's so true. And, and so as we continue in our sermon series today uh, on the Matthew 7, uh, he said, what? <laughs> he really said it. What did he say? Well, today he says uh, that we need to do unto others as we would want them to do unto us. The golden rule. I don't know if people realize that the golden rule is actually a biblical statement. There aren't many that we say today that are biblical, but this one is. And Jesus said it. And no matter what uh, version of Scripture you have, it says it a little differently, but He still says that we're to do that. And I want to show you the, the differences between what Jesus taught and what um, early century philosophers and other religious leaders have taught and where they separate from Christianity. Now, that's always a plus to know, Yeah. And so, if you have your Bibles today, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 and scroll down to verse 7, and you'll realize that we began last week at, at verse 7 as well, 
uh, but then we ended at verse 11. Today I'm going to go a little bit further and include verse 12, and that's going to be our emphasis. Okay? So Matthew 7, beginning at verse 7, and scrolling down through verse 12, and I'm going to read this morning out of the New American Standard because I like the way the direct translation uh, states verse 12. And so Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? And as I understood what Jesus is trying to say there, it resonated with me how true that is. And then He goes on to say this, For in everything, and I want to put emphasis on everything, because when he says everything, I take him at his word, everything. In everything, therefore, because of what I just told you, treat people the same way that you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, as I look at what he's saying there, I realize that there's, there, there's a, you know, a few people, and, and, and my wife has told me I need to clean up uh, you know, some of the things I say. Because I was going to say that there's goofy people out there. And I, I don't think I need to say goofy because you know that that's true. So I'm just going to say today that there are people out there, and I know there are people out there, that would literally, honestly, want someone to treat them poorly. I don't understand that, but I think that there are people out there that want that. Because, you know, they, they just like to sow this, this, this spirit of, of uh, intolerance and, and, and nastiness and, and whatever. That's just who they are. And that's who they are because Christ hasn't touched their heart yet, has He? Now, come on. If, if Christ has touched your heart, if He's in there, you're not going to sow that spirit. That, that nastiness isn't going to be there. And if it is, there's something wrong. Amen? Because Christ, is he, he transforms your heart into something else. Right? And you just sort of got to love people that you don't like. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? And, and sometimes we don't like that. Sometimes we don't want to love people we don't like. Have you ever felt that way? I wish I could not like that person or not love that person. Have you ever thought that? But it's interesting how, I mean, that's you know, completely on scripture, you know, but sometimes in our humanness, that's what we want to do because, doggone it, we feel like they don't deserve it. And the Bible's filled with people that, you know, even in, in, the, in the disciples, they even told even alluded to the fact that somebody did, some people that they were around didn't deserve the love of Christ and didn't deserve the kingdom of heaven. And the Pharisees thought that for sure, right? People didn't deserve that. And Jesus came and did away with all that, you know. And let's face it, we, like them sometimes, like things the way they are or they were, not how they are. Yeah? We don't want that change because it forces us to have to give 
love to someone that we would rather not give love to. That's humanity. And I began to think about that for a second. I thought, you know, so is it possible that we've ever found ourselves in a situation faced with a need to make a decision on the spur of a moment? Has anybody had to do that, make a decision like that? There was no time to think about it. Now, okay, now I want to do something here. Who among you makes snap decisions? Raise your hand. Who does it? Who, raise, who makes snap decisions? Keep your hands up. Who makes a snap decision and you don't want to fiddle around with having to think about it for a while? Amen. Right? And you guys at home, you guys at Mecca, do the same thing. Think about it and look around and smile because you know who they are typically. Okay, now put your hands down. Now, who among you in here or at home or at Mecca or whoever's listening, who among you has this, this like uh, almost... Um, not a dislike, but almost a disdain for somebody who makes snap decisions because you can't do that. You got to mull it over. You got to think about it. You got you to think several days on it, pray about it again and again and again and, and talk to different people and, and you struggle to make a decision on something. Who, who among you struggles with people that can make a snap decision? Oh, nobody in here. Well, Jake said he does. Anybody else want to be it? Okay, John. Okay. Yeah, see? And, yeah, right. See? But isn't it interesting how God made us all different and we can, we can make decisions differently? Is either one wrong? No. And maybe somebody is in between somewhere. Like it depends on what it is. You might make a snap decision on some things, but other things, well, you're, you're going to think on it for a while. Or I guess we, what, how do we call it? We chew on it some. Yeah? Have you ever had to make a decision and you're just torn and, you, and, and people were, you know, or the situation dictated that you had to make a decision? I watch my grandkids do it all the time. I have found that when I take them to what they call the yellow store, which is Dollar General, uh, you know, I, when I take them there and I tell them you can get one toy or you can get one piece of candy, I'm better to go myself, pick out for them what I want them to have and take it to them. Because if you let them do it in the store, brother, you're going to be there a while. Because they can, and, they, and they're like this. They put their hand in their pockets, and they're just, whoo! And same thing at the, at the soda machine. Like, they, they'll stand there, and they'll, uh, maybe there's only two things in there, maybe. And they're, they're, they're uh, and they gotta, they got to wait a while to make a decision. And like I said a few weeks ago, some of you are like that in a restaurant with a menu. One person amongst the group cannot make a decision. And then when they do, they'll say, I should have got what you got. Well, let me make the decision for you then. I am happy to do it because we'd have been eating an hour ago. Right? I tell my grandkids, just pick one already. Got the same amount of sugar probably. You're just getting sugar in a different way. But, you know, some of them, and as they get older, they get wiser, and they start thinking, well, this one's got so many ounces, and this has got so many ounces, I'm going to pick the bigger one. <laughs> and some of them are still stuck on just the color and what have you. But that's, that's humanity, you see. And so, but here's what we do. you got to make a decision, and, and either people or the situation is dictating an answer immediately, something quickly, and you're still wondering, oh, my gosh, which is the right way to go? Which is the right way to go? What's the right thing to do, Right? And haven't we done that? What do I do here? 
And sometimes we're unable to recall and remember whether the Bible specifically addresses this situation or a moral dilemma that we might find ourselves in. Have you ever done that? You're like, ooh. Okay, so how many of you ever wore what would Jesus do bracelet? Whoever did that? Yeah, right? And here's the thing. You wear that thing, and then something comes up, and you're like, huh, what did he do? <laughs> right? I'm more, I, 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 the answer is I don't know what he did. Or what if he didn't specifically address something? You're like, what would he do? Right? What would he do or what did he? We don't know. Because there were two different braces. One, what would he do? And, one, and that, would gave you, that gave you all sorts of carte blanche to do whatever you thought he would do. And that was a little dangerous. But then the other one said, what did he do? And I like that one better. But the fact is, sometimes he didn't address it, so you don't know. So you got to go back to what would he have done then? In his Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ provides a helpful tool for us, I think, in certain situations. And, and it's a quick and easy way to know what to do, and it's something that's easy to remember. And here it's found in Matthew 7, verse 12, and it's commonly called the golden rule. Okay, Grandma and Grandpa probably mentioned it to you, right? I'm not sure Grandma and Grandpa's do anymore, but the, the older Grandma and Grandpa's that I had did. And basically, what he says is, whatever you want people to do to you, do also back to them. This is the law and the prophets. But the question I have is, what really is the golden rule then? I mean, I, I, know, I know what it says, but what is it? Because I think over time somehow we've lost what it is. Because we're not practicing it. Would any of you readily admit that probably we're not practicing the golden rule? So what was Jesus actually trying to say by what he stated. Was it new? Yeah. To a point back then it was new. Because it hadn't been done in that society neither. You see. And it won't be if it's not taught in any society. So let's take a look at some things. First of all, notice here, friends, and, 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 I, and I, I, I believe I can prove this without actually showing you something. I believe I can prove this, that Christianity is the only religion that truly embraces the golden rule. Now, I'm going to upset some people today that are listening, perhaps, that aren't, maybe aren't Christian. And let me say something else to you. There are a lot of denominations and practices out there that claim to be Christian, but the Bible doesn't prove that to me. And yes, you can believe and think anything you want. But I'd rather know for sure if my denomination or my belief system is Christian by having it match up completely with this. Anybody? That's how we know, yeah. And some of them, let's face it, take certain liberties or cut certain things out or add certain things, which the Bible says is dangerous both ways. In fact, adding to it cannot be done. The Bible says so, yeah. But here's the thing. Christianity is the only one that really embraces and teaches the golden rule completely. However, there are many other religions that teach similar things. Have you ever noticed that? Religions that part from Christianity teach similar things or teach part of what Christianity teaches. Have you noticed that? Now, I, I think that that's the devil's plan because it makes people believe that they can get to heaven by another path. 
Isn't that what the devil wants to teach? And it really keeps people out, doesn't it? No, God doesn't teach that. Hindus teach that religious treatment of others is a duty. and that You should not do unto others that which, if it was done to you, would cause you pain. That's what they teach. Buddhists teach not to hurt others and that which would pain yourself. Notice some similarities there. Muslims teach that no one is a brother in Islam until you desire for your brother what you also desire for yourself. And you are to reject for others that and those things that you would reject for yourself as well. Again, similarities between all three. Jewish traditions teach that whatever is hateful toward you, you shouldn't do to someone else because this is the law. Notice how it's similar to what Jesus said. Everything else is simply rudimentary. That's what some of them teach. Wiccans teach that as long as it doesn't harm anybody, well, do whatever you want. Yeah, they teach that. And some early centuries philosophers had similar thoughts. Confucius said, what you don't want others to do to you, well, don't do to them. <laughs> Socrates said, don't do unto others what angers you if done to you by others. Seneca said, treat your inferiors as you would be treated by your betters. And Su Kung said, do not impose on others what you yourself do not desire. Now, do you notice here that while it teaches some form of what Jesus said, it's very different. All of them. Notice that Jesus taught the golden rule differently than these other religious leaders and philosophers. In fact, if you really get close and look at it, it's opposite. Christ requires you, get this, to do something favorably and good toward other people while the other religions only prohibit you from doing something unfavorable to others. And there's a difference. Okay? Jesus says, in everything, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. And he's assuming that you want people to treat you well because that's normal. It's abnormal to want people to treat you poorly. Yeah? Some people will compromise about anything just to make peace. Have you noticed that? That's how much we want people to treat us right, and we want to be in harmony with others. So to get to the depth of what Jesus is saying, we're going to have to notice the difference here. I think sometimes exploiting the differences make it clear for us to do it because with others, all that's required is that you don't harm other people, but Jesus requires you to show kindness toward others. And here's the thing about that. He wants you to do it regardless of what they do or don't do. And didn't he do that? Didn't he give life to people whether they would accept it or not? Now, now think about that for a minute. Didn't he go to the cross, and even when they were hurling insults at him, throwing stuff at him, spitting at him, even piercing his side and doing the terrible things that they did and then goading and laughing. Yeah? Didn't he ask the Father to forgive him because he didn't understand? Man, who would do that? You want to talk about practice what you preach? 
Woo! I think he did. So that's what we have to do. It doesn't matter what they do or not do. Okay? And you're to do it regardless of whether they deserve it or not, too. Well, that's a big one. Because if you want to get technical, there was nobody around that cross or in that city or even today that deserved what Christ gave. Now, come on. Who really deserved it? Who deserved the life that he gave on the cross? None of us. The Bible says none of us deserved it. Yeah? And it's up to you. God says you didn't, and that's what counts. God said nobody deserved it. But he gave it anyway. And here's the biggest difference. You're to treat others good and well and do good things toward them, okay, regardless of whether they treat you well back or not. But see, even in our closest relationships, we don't operate that way. We'll say, well, I'll start treating you better and forgiving you when you do it back to me. We'll even do it as spouses. Don't tell me you won't. You'll do it for a while, and then when you don't get anything back in return, you start finding ways to get out. Come on. Tell me we don't. But God says, no, no, no. You keep treating that person well, regardless of whether they do it back or not, because it matters not. I mean, it's not like Jesus didn't, because he did. You can't say, well, I... I don't have to because Christ didn't, because he did. <laughs> he did it knowing that people were still going to put him on that cross. And they weren't going to accept what he offered. And they're going to scream and, and holler at him and, and insult and even beat him. <laughs> and it was a better beating than you and I ever got, no matter how much we were abused. Yeah or no? Now, come on. See, this, this is painful for us to... to Accept and, and think about sometimes. And yet, that's exactly what we have to do. He is saying to do this in the manner that you want it done to you. Treat others in the manner that you want it done to you. But it doesn't matter if they do or not. Because here's what I think. I think that if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, and you sell out to him, and you start treating people in the manner and way that he first treated you. If you, if you do that, then you will give them way more than they'll ever give back to you. Because that's how it works for him. We, we, we give way less back to the kingdom than he gave to us in the first place. Don't we? We give way less back in our lives. Because we give a portion of our lives to the church, into the kingdom. And what did Christ give? Mm -hmm. And if you really had to think about it for a minute, I want you to look in the mirror as God is your witness. Because he's, you know, it's funny too, because when you look in the mirror, it's not just you looking there. Because I used to think that Christ was looking back at me. No, no, no. He's standing beside me, his arm around me, looking there too, see. Has anybody ever noticed that? That when you're really doing an evaluation of yourself, Christ has got his arm around you and he's looking too. It's like you're together in the selfie. You're together in the selfie, and it's the two of you there, right? And, and, and you almost want him to get out of the picture for a minute. 
Because when he's there, well, <laughs> it changes the perspective in, in, in the looking glass, doesn't it? And when he's there looking with you, you find something. <laughs> you find that you have to really notice that he gave you way more than you're ever giving him. So you're making a deal with yourself about how much of yourself you really need to surrender and how much of yourself you need to give God today. How much time do I really need to give Him today? And, and if He's looking there with you, the, the amount is a whole lot more than it's just you there looking. When you push Him out of the selfie and out of the looking glass, the parameters change. They do for me, and I suspect they do for you too. But when He's right there with me, I realize that I'm going to have to give him a whole lot more than I was planning to. Now, how close to the heart is that, is that, is that getting? Anybody with me here? Can anybody admit that that's probably true? Yeah. You see, in this manner, Jesus' rule is the only one that's really golden. And the others are, in my opinion, simply cheap imitations. And I think if you look closely, you'll see that that's true. Because they don't require anything from you. They simply require that you don't do anything bad to people that you don't want done to you. That's all. So you can treat everybody else with kind of a mild indifference. As long as you're not doing anything bad to them, do whatever you want. And in any matter you want, at the amount that you want. And God said, no, because I did an awful lot more than that for you. So you have to, in turn, do it back to others, see? And that's the difference between Confucius and Muhammad and Seneca and everybody else that teaches anything different than Christianity. That's the difference. And are these other philosophies of value? Maybe, but they're not golden. And we don't like cheap imitations because they just don't hold up. Yesterday, okay, uh, I, I've, been, I've, been, I've been painting for a long, long time. I own a painting business, and uh, once in a while still will uh, kick myself every time when I say yes, doing it. And, 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 here, and here's the deal, okay? So there's lots of different sprayers out there that you can use, okay? And, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I, we put up a, a, new, a new fence, you know, a, a, a wooden fence at our house partially, um, and it has to be stained. And my wife on the outside, you know, of the fence was just, just the wood up and down. You know, she, she did all the painting with a brush. And on the inside of the fence, it's got all the cross pieces and the, and the, and the you know, and so it's more painting, right? You can't, you got to, and there's cracks and cracks, th right? It's not just straight painting. You got to actually get into those things. And the best way to do it is not with a brush, it's with a sprayer. And I had a dilemma. Do I want to drag out my Graco, you know, several thousand dollar sprayer and use that, running that stuff all the way through, in, or do I just want to go get, you know, um, uh, electric sprayer which puts it in the little cup, right? Right? And sprayers are not equal. <laughs> and so I had an option. Do I want to go get, you know, a several hundred dollar Wagner or whatever, or do I want to go to, uh, you know, Harbor Freight and get a $25 one? And I'm looking at the footage I have to go, and I realize that it would be worth it to spray it, ruin it, and throw it away. And that's exactly what I did. 
Most of the time, if you spray oil through those things, they last not as long. Right, Bob? So, you know, so I, did, it was, it, I, I had no problem spending $25 to throw it away because I knew. But you wouldn't do that with a several hundred dollar sprayer. You would clean it up and try to keep it right. The difference is one's made one way, one's made the other. And you tell me, they, they might spray like a Wagner for a point, and then they don't because <laughs> they're, they're not the same, right? Some of you can't hardly go to the grocery store and buy the off-brand groceries. You have to buy Campbell's and whoever. I got news for you. Their quality has gone down over the years. And some of the imitations are actually better. I, I personally, I'm a, I'm a cereal connoisseur, okay? Uh, I won't buy uh, Kellogg's Frosted Flakes because the Kroger brand is better. And some of you are going to go out and try and see. And you, want, and you know who makes the best Fruit Loops? Meyer does. Meyer's got the best. And, they, and you get a big box, a huge box, for less than you can buy a small box of Kellogg's Fruit Loops. Now, so in this case, the cheap imitation kind of works for me. But most of the time it doesn't. You know, and it, here's the funny thing. Okay, so a Bentley looks, has a certain look in the front of it. Okay, it has a certain look, right? And Hyundai has a car that's trying to look the same, and they're not the same, right? You can, you can drive it all you want, but it isn't going to be the same. That's the point. And everybody would drive the Bentley over the Hyundai, I think. But the interesting thing to me, the cheap imitations don't work, but what, here's, here's the deal. They, the only ones that even come close to the teaching that Jesus taught were uh, those things that are found in, in, in Hadith, which are the sayings and traditions of Muhammad outside the Koran. Now, some of you didn't know that. Some of you do. You had a little education. You'll know what I'm talking about. Okay, so these are the th things that Muhammad said outside of the Koran, you know. And so these are the, it's basically tradition. But the truth is, much of Islam, what's taught in Islam, is based on what Jesus taught 600 years before Muhammad. It is. A lot of it's the same, same types of things. Regardless, what Muhammad taught was nothing more than a secular rebranding of the things that Jesus taught. It's the truth. You know, just don't do bad to people, and you're all right. Seneca, who lived about the same time as Jesus did, and I start, I'm starting to wonder if he had been influenced by the teachings of Christ, because what he says, again, looks similar to what Jesus taught, but it's not the same. And the only problem is that these guys didn't teach from the standpoint of God the Father. That's what they didn't do. It was a human form of religion. And Paul talks about this human brand of Christianity in 2 Timothy 3.5. He says they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And as I begin to think about that, I realize, friends, that we live in a world today where we want to have our own form of Christianity. We want our own form of Christianity. This, this isn't a new concept. It's been going on for centuries. Decades, centuries, year, years. And again, that makes us no different than Muslims, no different than Wiccans, no different than Hindus or even our early century philosophers because none of their teachings lead to heaven. That's it. Jesus said there's only one way to the Father, which is in heaven, and that is through Christ the Son. And these other things teach that the Son was a prophet or a good person, not the Son of God. So you can't get there through them. You can hope and wish and whatever you want all day long and twice on Sunday. And the fact is, it's not going to get you there. And sure, somebody's going to say, oh, yes, it does. Well, 
I think you're going to find out. <laughs> now, I want you to stop and think about this for a minute. None of their teachings lead to heaven, so why would we accept it? None of them. And you know what they say to, about Christianity? Well, that's kind of arrogant, isn't it? Maybe, but it's true. <laughs> if Jesus said He's the only way, then He's the only way. Yeah? I believe Jesus was the Son of God. Do you? I believe that what He said is real. Do you? And I believe that that's the pathway to heaven. Do you? That's why I'm here today. And I'm not interested in the cheap imitations. Now, they may allow me to do some things that Christianity doesn't. But in the end, is it really that important? No. I'd rather have heaven. Would you? So what Jesus taught was something new in comparison, but it certainly is more effective and has a much better plan and a whole lot better reward. Anybody? Sometimes it's difficult, I think, to know what to do as it relates to Scripture because we're not sure about some of it based on our own interpretation or just the relativity, I think, sometimes of being hard to understand it. Because some Scripture is hard to understand, isn't it? And some of you will call me up, and don't you just love it when I say, I don't know. I don't sometimes. And I can say, you know, this is what some scholars have said, this is what's been taught, and this is kind of what I think. But I don't like to tell you what I think. I like to tell you what I can prove. And there's an awful lot of things I can prove in the Word of God. Anybody? This is what Jesus said. So to me, that's where I want to stay. And then there are those things that are seemingly not mentioned specifically in the Word of God. But the beauty is, friends, that Jesus gives us this guideline for the righteous treatment of other people. Jesus actually gave us a guideline. And you know what it was? Himself. Himself. He gave us a guideline on how to treat people the right way. And it was Him. I mean, is there a better example? I don't think there is. His guideline is completely in line with the law and with the prophets because the, the Pharisees were afraid he was coming to change things and he didn't change anything. In fact, he said, I didn't come to de destroy the law, but what? Yeah. I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fulfill it. I am the fulfillment of the law. And that's why when pastors say, well, we're not under the law anymore, they're wrong. We are. Because grace doesn't throw the law out. It never has and it never will. They go together. In fact, the whole Word of God is the whole Word of God. Anybody with me here? Is the law in here? Is the law of grace in here? Then they go together, don't they? Now, it might be changed as to how it was fulfilled, but He still did it. Yeah? I mean, aren't you grateful that we don't have to sacrifice animals on our front lawn for days at a time? I'm... Pretty grateful of that, right? That he was a living sacrifice once and for all, and that, that now I too am the living sacrifice as I live my life. And now he wants me to live for it, not, not necessarily die for it, you see. Christ did that for you. And as we've seen earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught standard, the standard of righteousness that contrasted with that of the scribes and the Pharisees. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That's why they hated him. But it was always in harmony with what the law actually revealed. In other words, the law wasn't wrong, but they used it wrongly. And they put 
a yoke on people that Christ never did. And hasn't the modern church done that? The modern church at times has put a yoke on people that Christ did not. And as Wesleyans, we've been guilty of that. Haven't we, Pastor Bob? Now, some people still, especially if you've been in church a while, still kind of hold on to those things that Christ never taught us. Do I think it's wrong for you to take drink? I don't. But I think it's wrong to be drunk. And you don't know your tolerance. So Jesus said it's better to not do it at all. <laughs> That's what I read out of it. Is it wrong to dance? No, but let's face it. There's some forms of dance out there that nobody ought to be doing. Huh? Never mind it. You know, not only is it inappropriate, <laughs> probably hurt for a week afterwards. Anytime you got to leave your feet to dance, <laughs> probably not a good thing to do. <laughs> but I mean, right? I mean, television. You know, television is a bad, but it sure can be. Let's face it. There's some things I just need to shut off. Anybody? Right? Internet is not bad, but you sure can't use it for bad things, can't you? A lot of things. See, you see, you see the point here? This is the point. We've placed rules on people that don't need to be there. What we should have done is emphasize a, a, a strong relationship with a holy God that's righteous and pleasing to Him. That's what we should have done. And praise God, now I think we are. That's what we're doing. Problem is, it's hard to get people back, see? It's hard to get them back into that. Because they want to they put one foot in the church and one foot outside of it. Right? And experience all things. Enlightened, they call it. I call it compromise. And if you really want to know what you should and shouldn't do, get in the Word of God. I think He'll tell you. And if He doesn't address it specifically, you're going to know what the spirit of the law is. Anybody? The golden rule that Christ gives us completely summarizes what the law and the prophets were all about. Just as the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself summed up the law according to Paul. Paul says, well, you know, the law basically says do, do unto others by loving them. Love them as you love yourself. That's what Jesus was all about. The law was always good, and it was effective. But people struggled and still struggled to actually follow it even today. Yeah? This is why Jesus taught that we have, have to have this heart change from within. Because if you don't have a heart change, the rules aren't going to do you any good. Because most people think that rules are made to be broken. Or there's certainly got to be a way we can skirt around some of them. And it's, it's as easy as this. You go into any hotel or public or, or, a, or a public pool or a hotel that's got a pool, almost every time there's a set of rules posted right there, pool rules. And you know, we go, huh. And I guarantee you, even Christian families are breaking the rules. Yes or no? If it says don't dive, I would say don't dive. Probably it's two feet deep or something. Bad, bad idea. If it says don't run, there's a reason why it says don't run. People get hurt that way. Okay? But do you see kids and even adults sometimes running in the pool? Do you see them doing exactly what it says not to do? And you say, well, that's kind of innocent. No, it's the same thing. If we'll do it there, we'll do it here. Right? We'll do it. We are doing it. Did he really? And isn't that what the devil told Eve? Did God really say that? In our minds, that's what we're doing. 
Now, I'm not telling you to be rigid, or what's that word, that, that word anal we use? I'm not telling you to do that. But what I am saying is that God has a set of standards for us. He knows what they are. And He says, I did them, so can you. I did this, you can too. But you're not going to follow the rules unless there's a heart change. You're not going to want to. You'll find a way to get around them. Otherwise, it's simply a works-based religion, and that doesn't work. Christ said, you can't follow a bunch of rules, Pharisees, and expect to get to heaven. It's not going to work. It won't get you there. You've got to have a heart change. You've got to have a love for the Father. Because if you have a love for the Father, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my command. So he's asking you today, do you really love him? Because the opposite of that is, if you're not obeying his commands, you couldn't possibly love him. Now, people will say, oh, that's not true. It is true. I mean, how do, you, how do you take it any other way? If you love me, he told Peter how many times? Three times. People, people, Peter got upset. But why did he repeat it to him? Because he knew. He wanted to drive the point home. If you love me, do what? Feed my people. Feed my sheep. Love them. Do what I've done toward you. Teach them. And you're, it's going to be a sacrifice for you, too, because they're going to get on your nerves. But do it anyway. As, you know, Peter, you got on my nerves. In fact, Jesus said, how much longer do I have to put up with you? And I think sometimes he does the same to me. How much longer do I got to put up with you, man? Well, I would have thought you'd got this by now. I mean, you're leading a congregation of people. I thought you got it by now. Yeah. Has, has, has he done that to anybody in here? Right? Listen, this isn't about you. Rick Warren's right. It ain't about you. And if it is about you, then, then you're not a Christian. Because a Christian doesn't make it about themselves. They cannot make it about themselves. It's all about him. And if it's about him, it's about others before you. That's how you love others before yourself. That's how you put others before yourself. Without Christ, you can't do it. It's, 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 a, it's a human impossibility. Because the ruler of this age teaches you to love self first. He always has, because he loves himself first. He doesn't love you, no matter how much he helps you at the beginning. Huh? This is, this is a certainty. Are you here to serve, or are you here to take? That's what God wants to know from you. That's what he wants to know from me. So when you, have, when you start being self-centered about certain things, or wanting your way, regardless of what it is, who are you serving? You might say, well, maybe I'm being self-centered. No, you're being devil-centered because that's where it stems from. And nobody wants to admit that. Nobody wants to believe it, and nobody wants to accept it. But that's exactly what Eve and Adam did, isn't it? Now, why are we any different? The fact is we aren't. And the, the New Testament is clear that a works-based religion that's about you is false. <laughs> it's just not. Also something that you're always going to use. If, if, you, if you embrace the words of Christ and use the golden rule, you'll use it every day. So, okay, so I'm going to do something here. I, I, maybe I shouldn't do it. Uh, if you guys, anybody here got a pocket knife, get it out and hold it up. I was going to tell anybody got guns, hold it up. Don't do that. That's a tool. That's a good tool too. But, okay, okay. Dan's got, who else got a pocket knife? Hold them up. Come on. Any, any gal? I can't see anybody. Anybody? Any, 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 any girls got it? Or gals got it? Oh, Deb's got a pocket knife. 
Okay, so you got, Kay's got one. Here, here they are. Come on, hold them up. Hold up your pocket knives, guys. Anybody got a blade in here? Hold it up. Okay, so here's the thing. Why do you carry it? Because you might need it. Anybody just carry it because you might need it? Right? Have you ever known anybody that carries a bottle opener on their keychain? Who's got a bottle opener on their keychain? Come on, be honest. I'm not, don't think the wrong things. There's other things that come in bottles. Okay? So who, who, who's got a bottle opener? Any Marines got a John Wayne? Who's got a John Wayne? You got a John Wayne? And who doesn't know what a John Wayne? You got one on your key ring? My man. With a John Wayne, you can open anything, can't you, Clyde? You don't even make them anymore. You can flip them up. You can open any can. And bro brother, sometimes you're hungry. No can opener, I'm telling you. So a John Wayne will do that for you. That's a great tool to have. Some people carry a tape measure with them all the time. It's a small one. They put it on, right? Because they use them all the time. Does anybody have anything else that you just carry with you because you might need it? Give me an example. It's okay. You can shout it out. What? A shirt key? Oh, church key. I, okay, well, there's, there's different kinds of church keys. And I know what kind he's talking about. And some of you make an appointment. We'll talk about it. Okay? Yeah, there's different types of church keys. But all of you could use a church key, that, right? Okay, get one. But here's the thing. We, 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 we have different tools that we know we might need or use them often. Now, hopefully, nobody in here carries a roach clip on their keychain because that's a tool you don't need. And it will tell me more about you than I ever wanted to know. But seriously, some people carry things like this no matter where they go, see? Okay? Oh, and by the way, roach clips come, look like tiny little crescent wrenches now. So I ain't fooled. <laughs> right? Or alligator clips, right, Pastor Bob? Yeah. So here's the deal. Uh, anybody in here wear a pocket protector? Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I was managing a grocery store in Niles, Michigan, I had a pocket protector that said Eckrich on it. I did. Because I had box cutter in there, and I cut more shirts, and, and, and pens leaked out, and I, I had a box cutter in there, and a couple pens, and other things I needed to run that grocery store, because they were right there. Now, you can call me nerd all you want to. You... Because I, I am not one. But up. <laughs> Just saying. But you, you have tools. And, and anybody carry more than one pen with them? Because you use them all the time? Yeah. You know, you have them for different things, right? So there are tools that we need. And now, why do I, why do I make such big emphasis? Because there, there are things that we're going to use all the time, and we carry them based on the fact that we've had to use it over and over, and we know it's there. And here's, here's what's really, you feel really bizarre when you're, you, you have, and you go, and it's not there. And it's not there. Right? Yeah, sometimes it's your wallet. Right? Yeah. And the same is true in an emergency when you need something. Um, you know, some people, and I thought about this, uh, some people like to have um, one of those uh, uh, impact wrenches that has, like, it comes with a power pack. Problem with it is you throw it in the back of your vehicle and you never charge the power pack, it's not going to do you much good. Right? But everybody ought to carry jumper cables in their car. Yeah? You ought to carry a small 
toolkit in your car. Now, maybe some of you got so much stuff in your car, there's no room for those things. I don't know. But these are, these are things you should have in an emergency. It's a fact. It wouldn't be a bad idea to have one of those uh, metal fold-up uh, emergency blankets, too, because they work. These are things that you ought to have. But nevertheless, I'm not here to talk about that. What I'm saying is the same is true of the golden rule. We'll always have it with us. And when there's no time to consult a friend, a parent, a professional, a book, or something else for advice, the golden rule is right there because Christ taught it to you. And it's always with you. And if you pull it out and use it, well, I think if you treat others the way you want to be treated, it's unlikely you're ever going to do the wrong thing. What do you think? All we have to do is pull it out and use it. But you can't use it if it isn't there. If it's not written in here, you're not going to use it. Agreed? Lastly, how can we apply the golden rule? Well, when we're teaching the lost. Well, some of you aren't teaching the lost, so you don't have to worry about it. But it's time to start worrying about it. Because Christ gave you a commandment. In Matthew 28, what did he tell you to do? Take the gospel to people, period. I'm paraphrasing, that's what he said. Does that mean just me? Is it just our pastoral staff? Or does that mean all of you? Now, come on. You know the answer. Imagine what it must be like to be told that you're wrong or in a sinful situation or perhaps you're practicing sinful things or you have a wrong or sinful belief system. Wouldn't you want to be told in a loving and patient way by somebody who was loving with a patient spirit? Or would you rather somebody say, hey, that's wrong, but you're going to hell? Well, that's been done before. Now, you tell me what they're going to accept more readily. Now, as I ask that question, I realize that some people will never accept that they are wrong or that they're sinful. You might even know somebody like that. Maybe at one time it was you. Because I was pretty sure I was just fine. Anybody? But when they're at least willing to listen, how do you think they'd prefer to be told? Golden rule. And as you would have others to try to persuade you to change religiously, so you should also seek to convert them that way. You understand? 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, Ephesians 4, New Living Translation, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach. Be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. And then they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap. For... They have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. That's for sure. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, friends, as I began to think about that, I realized that when he says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth, be patient with difficult people. See, we're not patient with difficult people. We're difficult with difficult people. In fact, we, 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 we prepare ourselves to be difficult with somebody we know is difficult. And it isn't with kindness. Is it? It's self-protective. Come on. You self-protect yourself and gird up your loins, right, so to speak. When you're going to go into a situation with somebody you know is going to be difficult with you. You're prepared, by golly, to fight. Hmm. When else should we apply the golden rule when we're correcting somebody? That's a believer, even. You see, nobody likes to have their mistakes, their poor decisions, or their failures pointed out. I don't. Do you? 
And you know that if you make an appointment with me, there's a chance that might happen. But let me tell you something. You've taught me some things too. Hmm? Isn't that how God works? But when it's necessary for us to learn, wouldn't we prefer to be approached with a compassionate, direct, and yet kind spirit? A patient person? Remember the spirit about what Jesus said. As you would have others offer you constructive criticism, so give it to them. In fact, Paul gives us this instruction in Galatians 6, which is like my new thing, Galatians 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share one another's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. It's pretty good stuff. Lastly, how do we apply the golden rule? By treating people. Just treating. I mean, there's only one way to treat them. So I, I, that's all I have to say is treat them. It doesn't matter if it's family, neighbors, friends, or even enemies. You see, friends, we typically treat each of those groups differently. You will treat family members differently than you will treat an enemy. Yeah? You'll treat an acquaintance differently than someone that you're close to. That's just a fact. Everybody likes having a loving family. We love having good neighbors, and we love having no enemies. How right am I here? But applying the golden rule will not only transform us, but may also transform those around us. Sibling rivalry would cease, neighborly squabbles would be non-existent, and enemies just might become friends. And isn't that what Jesus was trying to say? Secondly, there's a massive difference between being a good person and being saved and in the kingdom of God. There's a massive difference between the two. Likewise, there is a massive difference between treating others the way Jesus taught versus treating them the way society teaches. Now, is, am I right? Isn't there a difference between the way Jesus taught and what society teaches to treat people? Because in society's mind, people have to earn how you treat them, good or bad. But Christ says, no, no, that doesn't work that way. In other words, we cannot limit the application of the golden rule to just religious matters, can we? Use it in everything while living life. Remember, that's what Jesus said, in everything. So as our worship team comes this morning, as we close this thing up, my friends, the golden rule would reconcile, in my opinion, everything in life, where there's people or situations. In fact, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest philosophers I've ever known was the British preacher and theologian Joseph Parker. Uh, I, he was long dead before I went to school, but going to school in England, I had to study a lot of what he said, and he was, he was a brilliant guy. And he once said, the golden rule would reconcile capital and labor, all political contention and uproar, and all selfishness and greed. That's what he said. What Parker was trying to say is that following the golden rule would be the impact on our society if people would actually follow Jesus' words. But let's start a little bit closer to home. Let the golden rule transform our lives and then those closest to us. The brilliant American poet Edwin Markham, and some, most of you know who that is, once wrote, we have committed the golden rule to memory. Now let us commit it to life. Man! Woo! That's huge. 
This reflects what is true with most people. They know the rule, but they don't live by it. You see? We can quote it, but we don't do it. Well, what good is that then? According to the Word of God, if Jesus is truly your Lord, then His golden rule will govern your life. And ask yourself this morning, who is your Lord? Is it yourself? Is it some famous celebrity who has an opinion that everybody seems to want to follow? Or is it Satan? Because if, if it's any one of those, you've got a problem. Or is it Jesus? There's the thought. Now that's the one you're looking for. Because He will not only transform your life, He'll transform the lives around you. And when He does that, He will transform the world. And that's what He came to do. And you're part of the equation, aren't you?